start dopey the podcast about drugs addiction and dumb shit i just want to say that this episode is brought to you by our friends at aloe recovery in southern sunny sunny southern california in malibu and silver lake aloe is a treatment center focused on providing addicts with care and comfort and uh the building blocks for a nice recovery and the most important thing about aloe is that uh they have respect uh for their clients they have respect for addicts who are suffering they have respect for the addicts experience i know that uh i went to a million fucking pretty shitty institutions forgive me uh you guys who uh, actually treated me but aloe sounds much better than you not only do they treat you with respect they have fucking amazing amenities like sound bath meditation and surfing and equine therapy and our friends evan and bob and bob just uh they seem to really know what's up and jeremy our buddy is there and he says that everything i say in the ad is true so there you go if you're fucked and you need help go to aloe these guys uh will hook it up our show is also brought to you very excitingly by the incredibly just and delicious um just coffee just coffee makes this amazing coffee and um you know we had it last weekend after passover me and linda and our two little kids stayed at my dad's house and my dad being the good supportive father he is ordered the just coffee and we had a pot of the the light humdinger roast it was a humdinger it was amazing uh if you want to support the show 
You should order coffee from justcoffee.com. You enter Dopey Pod at checkout. Maybe you'll get some kind of deal with that, but you'll definitely be supporting the show. You should write them an email and say you guys want to buy the Dopey Roast. I love coffee, and uh, and Just Coffee makes delicious coffee, and they also practice in uh, fair trade and want to take care of the growers in South America. So that's awesome. They do... Uh, the Revolution Roast, which is my favorite, it's dark. The Ariba Medium and the Light Humdinger, which we had last weekend, it was excellent. If you want a good cup of coffee, justcoffee.coop. Go. And do not forget to enter the coupon code DOPEYPOD. So support us and go to Just Coffee. Thank you. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm very excited because I've been trying to get this guy on the show for a while. He is a filmmaker. Uh, He grew up around one of my favorite bands, The Grateful Dead. His father was the drummer in The Grateful Dead. This is Justin Kreutzman. Welcome to the show. And I'm like, drugs? I thought you said dogs and stupid shit. I had all these funny, funny fucking dog stories all lined up. We're talking about drugs? No, I'm just kidding. How, how, how you doing, man? I'm good. We could talk about you. I mean, if you want to talk dog stories, I mean, I'm, I'm open <laughs> I, to it. It, it. This could be doggy, the, the I, podcast I'm about... I'm canine illiterate. Um, what was I going to say? But you did some really cool stuff, you know, like when we had started doing the show... Uh, Long Strange Trip on Amazon was just about to come out and it was like my mission to get Sam Cutler on Dopey Um, so like I started messaging him on Facebook and like in the Long Strange Trip he like acts like He'd be good on a podcast, you know what I mean? And like he's like he's like if I need to score drugs, you just send me out in the street and I'll find him. And then um, when he came on Dopey, he was not like he didn't want to talk about drugs. It was very funny to me. Yeah, well, everybody's got their their own their own their own feelings about it, and everybody you know has second thoughts about things, and everybody because it's that fine line of. of when are you glorifying it? When, when are you just telling your story? When, when you know, I mean, everyone is horrified. I mean, I don't think any of us feel that anything we say would influence anybody else in the world, and God knows it shouldn't, except for my small children, but they're sort of screwed, so, you know, good luck to them. Totally. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, you start to, like, glamorize it because the stories are funny, and, you know, if it's me, I like to be kind of funny just because, you know, why not? And then you just sort of realize, like, are you making it sound like, hey, this is kind of cool. I've never done that. Let me let me try some of that. So, you know, maybe, I, I, I don't know. I didn't, you know, maybe he was just having an off day. He's a funny guy. And, uh, he actually used to stay with us um, in the mid-70s. He'd sleep out on our couch. I distinctly remember waking up with this Englishman, like, like watching cartoons and, like, sharing, like, Rice Krispies and going, like, Dude, do you know the Beatles? And he's like, no, I know the stuff. I'm like, I don't care. Do you know the Beatles, man? And like, it just, was, I was just not, and he was, like, had a million stone stories, but I remember the, the five-year-old me was just not impressed yet. Of course, now I'm just like, yeah, let's talk Keith Richards. That's, that's, good. that's funny. Cause I'm going to do that to you now, what you did to Sam Cutler, because you fucking, you were born in 1970, right? 69 69 so the the great and and the grateful dead were in full swing and you're born into uh into the world and your father is uh is touring the country and pretty soon the world and um 
That must have been a crazy uh, experience as a kid. Do you, do you remember what it was like to be a child in that situation? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, you know, it, it was that sort of thing to keep the family together. You had to go on the road. I mean, as we all know, the Grateful Dead didn't exactly sell a lot of records, so... Um, but it's you know, funny they sold so many more records than bands do now, you know. True, true. But I mean, there was a record business then, and yeah. there isn't one now. So it's it's just a different it's a different it's a different world. And what's funny is they're probably selling more records now since '95 than they did, you know, maybe since Touch of Grey, just because that's all you can get of, of that band, of course. But yeah, no, I remember those days, and it was always sad. And it was always, just like anybody whose father works, you know, it was just a kind of job. You know, twenty thousand people usually don't show up in somebody's office. So it was the kind of job where everybody was really interested in it, and so teachers would, you know, bring in newspaper clippings, and I just, I never understood, like, what the big fuss was about, because to me, those were just the guys that were hanging around our house or the studio, and, you know, then all of a sudden, they're, they're pointing out in class, and you're embarrassed, and you're like, yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of strange, and then it just makes you feel awkward, but, you know, then, then when you become a teenager, you feel, you know, you, then you learn how to use it, and, um, yeah, things sort of work out. I, I read your dad's book, and I really liked it. And I was just like perusing through it again, and uh, and of course I looked in the index under Justin, and he says that when you were a teenager, you would tour with the band, and you would basically be a rock star, and you'd have your own room, and uh, and you'd get into all sorts of trouble with the other grateful kids. And uh, is that true? Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I can't... Mean, I'd be dead. If I was you, I, I think I, I would be I dead. No, no function on... The, I had no responsibility, job requirement. I, I didn't need to be anywhere, do anything. All I had to do was make it to the plane by the end of the show. You know what I mean? And I was a fucking teenager. So, you know, I mean, some tours I was working, but, like, I wasn't, you know, usually... I, I wasn't working on the tour. I'd be out there to film something, but... Some tours, I it was just me and him, just sort of like to keep him company. And so, yeah, I mean, um, thank, thank God the band just blindly picked up a lot of expenses because uh, you know I, I was always amazed it never it never got no matter what happened in the Kreutzmann room, it never got brought up to me later. So I don't think he really, uh, I don't think he got hit with the bills because I never heard about it from Dad. Well, do you remember like at what age were you like fourteen, fifteen, um, on your own on the thing on the on the road? Like, do you remember, like, when you became kind of a, a free teenager where you can make decisions and you can have sex and you can do drugs and you're, like, not a child, but you're sort of, I guess the word is adolescent. Is that the word? Well, that's one, that's one word for it. I mean, we were always kind of, I mean, it's the graceful dead. So when you're always, you know, we were always all kind of free. And I'm speaking the royal we of all the other kids that were, there was a generation before me, which was my older half-sister and Sunshine Cheesy and those people. And then there's like my generation, which is like Annabelle and, you know, different, different Garcias. And so my generation of kids, um, you know, it's not, it's basically if you didn't get hurt, and or caught, you, you could get away with just about anything. That being said, unfortunately, there were some, some bad instances where, where kids would, you know, sneak into people's stuff and they would do what they maybe thought was coke, but it turned out to be LSD. And then you just, you know, you realize that kids probably just snorted how many thousands of 
micro whatevers of acid and is freaking out and you know and the, you have to call the ambulances so I mean there's some really horrific moments right and what was that how how yeah. was, was that like a, a usual tour thing it's like uh oh no, no, no. sunshine oh, hit the acid instead of the no, blow no 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 that, that was uh, um, the experience I'm thinking of was, was it was definitely didn't happen a lot and it was the kind of thing it was like somebody some friend of the band had brought something and it was in their bag and so that's why the kid thought he could sort of get away with it because it wasn't anybody it wasn't anybody in the family and he didn't know what he was doing and you know we were, I think we were all like eight or nine at the time and it was you know it was really dramatic because you know while while you're waiting for the ambulance you hear the kids screaming and it's like after the gigs so all the band is still there so everybody's like as you can imagine it's really uncomfortable no that didn't fortunately that didn't happen a lot that was um a particularly horrific um, version of, of you know so it's like people you know when you know in the 50s when people would sneak, sneak cigarette butts out of the ashtray after their parents would have cocktail parties it's kind of a, the Grateful Dead equivalent to that sure if you go to a 12 step meeting all you hear about are, are people like sneaking the end of their parents drinks and like you know and that was the beginning and it's like you, I can't even imagine the stories you would get uh, on the road with the dead um and I think that's another interesting thing because I talked to you a bit last night and just hearing you talk, you definitely have your shit together. You know, you don't have the addict gene, I don't think, right? Or, or, or Oh, fuck no, 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 totally wrong, totally wrong. I just have my shit together now. Um, um, you should, you know, you should, have, you should have met me when I was a fucking teenager. Um, no, no, no. I, I fully believe in the addict gene, and I believe it's passed down because um, my 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 grandmother was an alcoholic uh, on my dad's side, and it's very the behavioral patterns you, you can really trace, and you can see in my own family through now three generations, and I'm hoping to uh, put a stop to it. I think it's this is just my personal BS. I'm not not saying like I'm some learned you know recovery expert or or trained psychologist or anything like that. To me, it's it's like 50-50. I think you're sort of prone to it by your genes, but then also like your upbringing. So if it's like around you all the time, obviously, and if that's all you see, and if that's what people are doing all the time, people that are supposed to be sort of parental figures, it's a real it's a real fine line to be told, no, you shouldn't do something when you just saw everybody else doing it. It's an age-old story. And so I think the combination of having, you know, a genetic disposition to be that way anyway, and having, you know, the influences of just seeing it, it's just a, a deadly combination and i've seen a lot of people like just completely not go down that path too so i mean like i i I don't think i've ever seen annabelle garcia drunk in her life (laughs) you know what i mean ever right so you know what i mean i I think i think you you can rise above it and have you know and be able to just make your own decisions and not just sort of say well everybody else is doing it or my family does it so you know I, I landed somewhere in the middle, but, uh, you know, eventually you, you uh, I mean, saying you have to grow up is, sounds so cliche, but, you know, at, at a certain point, you, you know, people stop saving you and you sort of have to be responsible for your own life. And then, especially when you have uh, the lives of others, you know, that you're responsible for, it's sort of like nobody's going to have compassion for like, you know, the, the, the fucking up and the DUIs and all that kind of shit. So, right. I mean, yeah, but, uh, but that's I'm, an I'm, argument. I'm glad I come off that way. I, I mean, I'm that way. I feel that way. And I, you know, that's how I'm living my life now. But like, I, I can't. I would be completely lying to you if I said that it's been this way all my life. Right, and and you're not in a program of recovery, right? No, I'm a, I'm a really bad. I mean, I've been through the twelve steps and had sponsors, and 
Um, I, I truly believe that it's not, you know, it's not really, really something you recover from. I, I really do believe all that. I, I've read all the books, but, um, you know, I don't go to meetings like I should. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm funny enough. I'm really supportive when somebody, um, seems to be having a tough time and they need like a buddy. Like I love being that guy, like to like, you know, go to a meeting. Cause then you feel really good about yourself and, you know, you feel like you're helping somebody out. And I know that's, you know, one of the promises giving back and, and all that sort of stuff. And I, I do, I do, I do enjoy that and I don't know if it's just my own ego feeling really good about myself or that you feel like you're helping somebody like I said but um that just happened the other day and it's just somebody just wanted company to go to a meeting I was like yeah let's do it you know I don't feel you know it feels that going to the going to meetings feels very comfortable to me Justin are you sober I am I am how long you've been sober I've been sober six years wow I had no idea that's amazing yeah yeah, you, I, had a, I, I actually got sober a little before that, but I had a, an operation, and it was one of those sort of things where they're like, okay, well, there's no way that you can, like, you know, you're going to have to take something to just deal with that. And I was like, you know, you're right. And then, like, you know, when I went back for the third, the third refill, I was like, you know, I think I'm doing this just to get high. This doesn't feel like it's just working for me. So um, I had to, re- I had to uh, be honest with myself and, and give myself a new date. So, well, tell me, tell me about what was the thing that led to your your initial sobriety. Um, it, it was getting to an age where. Your parents have helped you, you know, enough times, and your grandparents, and everybody's everybody's like thrown out the limb of, of like the expensive rehabs and the, the, you know, if you just stay sober, we'll get you this. And it was always, you know, everything was, you know, um, it's like like dealing with a small child. Everything was a reward system, and I'd always fail, and I would always fail, and then eventually I just got old enough where they're just like, you know what, you're gonna either have to do this or not do this, but we're not gonna like save you anymore. And um, you know what? I, I did it. And then, uh, <laughs> funny enough, I uh, like a year into my sobriety, I got a call, and Townsend's like, "Oh, do you want to come work for me?" And I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna fuck up in front of him." Right. So like, then I worked for him for two years, and like, he has a really strong program. So it was just, you know, that was like an awesome way to go through two years without even noticing. So then you have three years, and then you just keep adding to it. Well, how did that happen? I mean, I mean, because I know your your resume is pretty amazing, and you started shooting film when you were a little kid, right? When you were like eight yeah. or nine, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Uh, well, I got my first camera for the Christmas of nineteen seventy seven because I've, I've got the footage, and it's, I got a Super Eight camera, a, a Star Wars lightsaber, and an Atari game system. So my fucking world was on fire. So you weren't shooting Scarlet Fire at Cornell, you were shooting Star Wars stuff in 77? Totally, totally. I think, um, let's see, I need to uh, I need to have like Lemieux on speed dial. I believe Cornell was before Christmas of 77. Was it, it was 77, right? That's that yeah. famous May. Yeah. May. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one everybody talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I never, nobody, I never understood that, but I, I guess because people couldn't get it or they didn't have the tape. I don't know. I mean, they're good shows. I've never actually listened to the whole thing, but I mean, I, I see what people mean. The beginning but, is really, really good. The beginning, the beginning of of the of Scarlet Begonias, the bass is really, really pumping. And uh, way different than the usual thing. I remember I was visiting a buddy of mine in Ithaca, and he had just gotten the bootleg, and it was before it was like out, out or whatever. And um, and we got really stoned, and he was like, "You got to listen to Cornell '77." And uh, and I loved the Dead, but I didn't love it like he did. And he put it on, and it was just just 
it just fill, flooded the speakers. You know, Phil flooded the speakers. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a question I really wanted to ask: is do you like the band, or, do, or, yeah, is, it, or is it just annoying at this point? No, 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 no. Um, I, I'm not. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of the entire, and I don't like labels, but I guess you call it the jam band genre. Sure. I, I I egotistically probably feel like I was in close proximity to probably the best uh, out of all of those, at least in, in maybe maybe the first of all those. I mean, not excluding jazz musicians, of course, but in terms of that kind of rock and roll psychedelic thing. And I, I, I dig a 20-minute guitar solo as, as much as the next guy, but, you know, I, I like The Who, I like The Beatles, and I like things that fit into 16 bars, too. But um, I do. I, I, we, have, we have lots of Grateful Dead on our music system here that we, we shuffle around, and it's, it's a part of our everyday listening experience. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a mu. I'm not an expert on, on when and where and how many. I mean, I can barely remember the, the ones I, I saw myself. But, um, no, I definitely... It's not something I... I um, like I've just, you know, I'm not burned out on it or anything like that. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's the kind of thing. I mean, it's been, I've been hearing Grateful Dead music since the womb, so it's just, I think it's just part of the DNA. No, I hear you. I can't even imagine because my my dad listens to pretty crappy music and uh, and doesn't really care. And I, I don't know. So like when I got to discover rock and roll. It was like very exciting and it was very much not like where I came from. You know what I mean? It was a place to go. Whereas that's mm-hmm. where you came from. You know what I mean? So where did you get to go? Yeah, well, I mean, you know where I went is like um like when I saw the Who and the Grateful Dead play and I was just like I saw the lasers and, you know, the the windmills and like I was just like, This rocks. Like I really like this. this when, is, was like, I, I when was the Who and the Grateful Dead? When was that? When was the Who and the Grateful Dead? Uh, well, I saw. Well, there was, there was the two famous ones. Um, I mean, Woodstock. They were on at, on the same day. Uh, Monterey Pop. They played the Who. But you were you were you were in the womb. You were little, little, little. Yeah, but I saw them in '76 when they did a day on the green, and then we all went to Germany in '81 when they did Rock Palace. Right, and and, and Pete Townsend sat in with the band. Um, yeah, we're yeah. jumping around too much, though. It's it's my fault. I'm too excited about this stuff. So forgive me. Well, I want to get back. It's the beauty of editing. No, there's no edit. I'm not going to edit any of this. This is good stuff. I'm I'm everybody who's listening to the show knows I'm excited to talk to you. I'm really excited you're in recovery. I didn't even realize that. I was like on the phone with somebody and I was like, "Well, he's not an addict, but you know, he grew up in the Grateful Dead basically." Um, so this is way better, you know. So talk to me about about well, also, the I feel, I feel weird about I mean, I'm in recovery in that I don't drink or use but I, I also feel like that sort of that makes it seem like I go to meetings like every day, and I, I you know, I, I, you know. So I mean, I, I'm I don't want to like prostatize too much. Like I'm I'm, I'm this big um, AA raw raw guy. I believe everybody does it their own way, and I um, just not using works for me. So that's that's what I'm sticking with. But I'm definitely. You know, if if it, if, it, if, if, it's, if you're looking at me to like to have a good program, I, I'm probably not your poster child. But, you're you know, sober. Yeah. So, so I mean, like it works for me, but you know, uh, who am I to, to tell anybody else how to live their lives? So, what was what was the end of of your run like? Like, what besides just disappointing people? Like, what were you doing? Like, because you were working, you were making uh, TV shows and films. Um, what was it like? Yeah, but I mean, it was it was like on the most minimal level. It just I really really went through a, a period where, I, had I been more on it, I, I I just I definitely could have upped my game 
a little bit and um you know drinking is just not not a good thing and especially with some with, with my genes and yeah. with just what it, what it does and it just doesn't it doesn't it, you know i'm one of those people like I, I really like to um when they talk about it like it's like an allergy like it definitely like it just changes the mood and and it just you know and it wasn't there was nothing really dramatic like there was no big there was i never never been to jail i mean I'm still not knock on wood and have never you know nothing Nothing like those kind of like you know you're going to be incarcerated for the rest of your life. You don't do it. Nothing that dramatic. It was just that you know. So I mean, you hear this a thousand times. I was just sick and tired of it, and um, and nobody was going to like make it easy on me. And that that was really the difference. If I wanted this, I had to work for it. And then when you did it, you felt so like sort of good about it. And I honestly don't have, remember too many things. I mean, fortunately, I I I'm somebody who has a lot of friends. So I mean, it's like uh, you know, I was never the guy on the street. You know what I mean? I didn't have yeah. friends and couches and so you know i definitely you know i mean i may not have been hitting the bottom but i could definitely like see it from where i was it didn't right look like it was going to be getting any better because you know even eventually like you run out of those friends we're just like dude you got to get off my fucking couch right not so. to mention you saw your dad was at a at a bunch of little bottoms where he was just miserable you saw jerry you know at the worst you know and you saw him die from it so you saw real bottoms too right yeah, and sort of like that. Death was always the the, the final outcome. It, it it never, I I you know it never really ended any other way for anybody else. They either got sober or people died or you know. So it wasn't it wasn't like I, I felt like I was going to be like the exception or anything. It was sort of like, did you do you want to do you want to do this thing or do you want to just you know end it all now? And so I um. You know, that was God. You know, it's actually it's been such a such a long time, and now with, with the wife and the kids, my life has changed so much that I, I I can't. You know, it's hard to even like. You know, and I'm trying to like because I'm I real, I'm, not, I'm not giving you any juicy stories. I'm just trying to like think. It's real hard to go back into that place and like try to remember what you were doing because it's like now I'm like worrying about you know getting new shoes for my five year old. You know, stuff that I'm just like you know like real like grown up shit that you're like oh my god and it's great and I wouldn't trade it for the world but it's like you know, I'm glad that it's it doesn't like I, I don't have these these this big moment that it was all like you know I saw the light and it all happened it just you know it was many it was many tries and then eventually you know it, it stuck and that um it was like when I quit smoking I just everyone had built it up as being like the most impossible thing ever and fortunately I just quit and I was just like oh my god you know so you just once you once you sort of surprise yourself, it, it's kind of amazing. I know what you mean. I, I quit smoking two summers ago, and I expected it to be just way harder than it was. I expected to go into like full drawn opiate withdrawal from just stopping smoking. You know what I mean? And, oh yeah, uh, I, was, I was ready to like climb the walls and be like you know needing to be like you know you know chained to the bed so I didn't like sneak out to Seven Eleven. I just you know. And, and again, it was it was also the thing. I was starting a family, so it was the opportunity. The opportunity window really closed because you know no, nobody wants you know their baby to smell like cigarette smoke from your hands, and you know just so it was the perfect. That was, that was and also compared to everything else, that, that that was relatively easy. I was just sort of like you know it doesn't get you high. It doesn't you know it, it makes you smell bad. You can smell the minute you get in an elevator that somebody's been in a smoker. You're like oh my god, that was me for all that time. So totally, I'm, I pleasantly uh, can avoid those situations. Were you a stoner too, or no? 
No, I never was for some reason. I, I don't I don't know why. It probably would have done much better for me if I just could have gone down that path. Because God knows that would have been the easiest the easiest thing to do. It was probably the the, the best payoff in the world that I grew up in. But yeah, um, I don't know why. I just. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, everyone has smoked their, their, their fair share over the years, but it didn't, uh, I don't know why. I just, it wasn't my thing. That's, I mean, that's totally cool. So tell me about you get sober and Pete Townsend calls you up and says, will you come, uh, work, come on tour and start shooting me? Like, how did that even happen? Well, I had, um, since Rock Palace, I had been writing him letters. And the great thing about Pete is he'll answer them. And so when I was, how was I then, like 12, I got my first letter back from him. And I'm like, okay, that's it. This guy, going to follow him forever. Boom, done. He's my guy. He's, he's my Jerry. He's the, he's the one I'm going to buy every record. I'm going to, you know, da, 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 da. so much so that, like, my dad's like, okay, you need to stop talking about the Who. Stop talking about the who i get it you like them but you know we're good on the who and jerry used to love telling me he told me the monterey pop story like three every time you saw him he would tell me that story again and each time it would get better, better tell me better, this, tell but, us the story yeah. tell us the monterey pop story oh, well they just got they got put on between the who and Jimi hendrix and so they were in this like the most forgettable spot on the show and you know they're, they're, they were the, the, the band that didn't destroy their instruments between those two guys so yeah. nobody remembered them nobody saw them dad was so nervous he threw up and so you know they all, but they were all hanging out like the night before at the hotel and that's where he met all the who and that's Jimmy was there and you know Weir came in and Weir, Weir's like Jerry you gotta hear this guy his name's Jim something does some amazing shit with feedback and so you know that's where they met Hendrix and so you know it was great getting all those kind of first person accounts yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was actually the question? It was a Pete Townsend question. Well, first I want to ask you this, because I'm a crazy Who fan, and this is a fucked up thought that I have, and just bear with me for a second. Okay. Is it possible the Who would have been better without Roger Daltrey? Is that possible? Um, no. It's not possible? Those, those Those songs wouldn't have been written like that if it wasn't for Roger. Right. So we, you know, who knows what the songs would have sounded like? They would have sounded like Scoop. They would have sounded like these Scoop records, the the, yeah, the demos. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I, I'm such a big believer in in the band concept, and I mean, especially when your dad's like the drummer, not the main guy. Like, <laughs> right. I believe that everybody, like, you know, no matter what you think of them, everybody's, you know, the four wheels on a car, like you, the four legs of a table. Like, there's just something about that chemistry, and and that's why bands, you know. That, they're so amazing when, when they work and you know so when you have like the police like just like oh my god like you know those three guys you know just like it's never I don't know I love I love everything but there's something about those three guys when they're together that was just amazing but so, there's something it I mean, sounds like everything that I read it seems like Pete fucking hated Roger it just seemed like that from everything I read and saw. And then I'd listen to his, you know, his version of like bargain is just so beautiful when Pete just sings the whole thing or when he sings, I'm free. I don't know. Like I, I, I could do I like them. I like them both. To me, you get more bang for your buck. Cause you get, you get the Pete version and then you get the, the adultery version and, and the, the Pete version of like, won't get fooled again. The vocal just doesn't right. it's great, but right. it doesn't get you there. The, right. the, the Pete version of who are you doesn't do that thing that Rod Roger does that, that I love with, you know, when, when he hits that who are you section you're like oh yeah that's awesome no you're right you know? I hear you I, I'm such a I'm such a Pete Townsend fan so you're 12 years old and you're writing him letters and he's writing you back 
and uh, and basically you just stayed in touch until he well, was I like started, I started sending him all my little films I would just make and, and um, I, mean, I, I would send him stuff like autographed Grateful Dead programs or I'd get the whole band to write him messages and like, like he fucking wanted it you know but what else so I think I, you know, when you're 13 what the fuck else are you going to do so I just did shit like that and eventually they needed somebody to, to document this tour they were doing in 2006 and he um, he was like dude you sent me every one of your I've seen every one of the films you've done since you're eight I might as well hire you so I started working for him and we, um, we had a good good two year run and then when the project was over I came back and met my wife like literally months later and boom that's this is all all meant to be and you got there basically in the beginning of uh, of your sobriety did he give you any kind of like words of wisdom when you got there because I know recovery is very important to him yeah, I mean, he his his words of wisdom was just leading by example, um, and you know he attends meetings and it's it's uh, it was just his encouragement wasn't you should do what I do or you'll be a better man if you do this. If you wanted to talk to him about it, he would tell you everything about his own experiences, which is great because his experience are these like classic rock and roll moments. And and but you know what I mean. But if, if you know, not everybody who works for him is sober, and he doesn't have any. You know, as long as you're doing your job and it's not a thing, you know, he doesn't make you feel bad or having you know have any issue with that either. So he's not he's not a hypocrite about it. Was there a lot of talk about Meher Baba, or not so much? Not so much. All right. Not so much. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's still still a believer, but um, he definitely. I mean, I, I don't think we ever had one discussion about it actually. Right on. And you mentioned like when you were first talking to Sam Cutler, how you wished he had Beatles stories. But um, it sounds like you got to work with a bunch of the kids of the Beatles, like Danny Harrison and Sean Lennon. Uh, did you bug them for Beatles stories? What did you do with those guys? No, no, no. I um, yeah, no. I, I've worked with all, all of them except, except Paul's Paul's kids. James James McCartney, right? He's still on the list. I haven't worked with him, but um, no, I, it's like I, you know, I mean, especially with a band like that. I mean, Jesus, how many, how many people probably talk to them about that stuff? If it can, if it comes up naturally, that that's one thing. But like, I would just feel so. I don't know. Just, just, I don't know. You'd feel uncool, and not to mention well, you're the well, son, you're the son yeah, of well, fucking. Bug somebody about about the stuff like that. I mean, it's their parents. You know what I mean? Like it's you know it's, it's much more fun when it comes up naturally or something happens, and it's like, oh, my dad used to say, and you're like, oh god, that's good. Right. That's you know, awesome. And also, you just not being somebody who doesn't like. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I don't post to the world like stuff that's just kind of meant to be private conversations. Because I just feel that's once you break that bond of trust, then then you're gonna be you know out of the circle. So, um, but you know, just getting to know them. You know, you're you're meeting. Yeah, you know, you're, you're you're meeting the family, and I, I worked with Sean and his mom once, and it was nice to meet Yoko, and I was just like, oh wow, she's really sweet. But you know, it's like you know, you're not going to ask her a John question. Does it put you off that I'm asking you these questions? Well, we're we're doing an interview. I mean, right? It's, it's, not different. Like it's different. It's different. It's not. It's not like you know, I'm doing a video for your solo project, and, and oh hey, can you tell me? About, I mean, I just did a, a big project with Danny last year. You know, and I got to hang out with them for you know three weeks and down at their studio um, here in LA, and you know it, it would just you know 
it's 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 more you become you become allies and you sort of make famous father jokes and you feel really bonded when like you guys are laughing about you know having to live live with your dad's shadow or live under your dad's shadow and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, the Beatles, like, forget about it. I can't. I, I I can't even imagine what it's like for those guys. But you know, and like Zach was in the Who, so I mean. I, I've gotten to I've gotten to hang out with a lot of those guys, and um, actually, I met Ringo once. He's the only only Beatle I've, got, I've gotten to meet, fortunately, and um, he couldn't have been nicer. He's asking me if I played drums, and it was like the one time I wished I could have been like, yes, of course, I play drums. That's so yeah. funny, and that that's yeah. amazing. You know, you I wonder like if those guys, if Zach and fucking. Dan, because Danny looks literally exactly like Young George. Does he look like that in person? Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen pictures of him. I mean, he looks exactly, especially, I mean, uh, George, you know, George of a certain era. Right. Definitely. Um, I, my daughter, uh, well, she'll, she'll kill me if she hears me, but she, when Danny came to TRI, she had a big crush on him. And um, I, for years, I don't think she knew, she's eight now, but when she was much younger, I don't think she knew that that wasn't him in the Beatles books. Like, I think she thought it was the same guy that she'd met at TRI, so she got all excited when the Beatles would come out. And it was great. I just kind of let her have that fantasy because it made her think that she, you know, hung out with one of the Beatles. That's so funny. You know, how much money do you think they would make if they called themselves the Beatles Volume 2 and it was Sean and Danny and James and Zach? Like, why not just do one show for a, a laugh or whatever? I, I, I think if those guys accidentally all showed up at the airport not knowing that the other three guys were there, one of them would leave just to not ever be associated with doing some sort of kids of Beatles thing. Each right. of those guys... right. That I know are so individual and one their music tastes and right. the music that they do that they're like it's it's like the, I don't want to say they're going they're purposely like they're trying to go against everything not not in a bad way but just not not like their their music doesn't that sounds like them it doesn't sound like they're trying to do Beatles music where everybody else is trying to copy the Beatles so um, you know I just I just from what I know those guys are really comfortable making music that's unique to them and and what they enjoy and. You know, it's just you a know. fun. It's a fun fantasy uh, for me. Yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen the things online where they, they, you know, the people put the, the you know, Photoshop the faces together, it's like it was the band. And, but yeah, no, I couldn't. At least the three guys I know, I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> Probably they'd want to do less than than uh, play off their their dad's. Uh, rather stellar musical history one morning very very early in the morning i was walking to work you know to katz's and i saw sean lennon coming out of a yoga studio right and Mm -hmm. um, and because i am the way i am i went up to him and like and i asked him a million questions and it was like it was very i definitely freaked him out uh, but uh, you know, I couldn't help it. I like I had I had wanted to meet him like as a kid, and it was just like one of those things. Um, you just had um, I'm going to change subjects now. I'm gonna, okay. This is my transition. Um, you just had another fucking movie come out, and it won some some uh, festival in Jersey, right? In um, what yeah. you call it? Uh, where the Asbury Bruce, Park. in Asbury Park, where Bruce Springsteen is from, um, and it's about the Doors. Uh, I don't know, why, don't, why, don't they, why don't they just call that that place Springsteen Park? Like why 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 even like like kid around? Right? That place is so Bruce intensive as it should be. It's amazing. Tell me about the it, it's a tribute to Ray Manzarek, right? 
Yeah, well, it's sort of the classic Justin film project where, like, I'm sitting on my couch watching TV and the manager of the doors calls saying, can you film this gig that's in, like, three days? I was, fuck yeah, not a problem. So I hurriedly call all my friends and, like, we've got cameras and we go down and we film it and it's for... It was the second anniversary since Ray had passed, the second anniversary of his birthday, and it was Robbie Krieger and John Densmore and, and some special guests, and we got it together and filmed it, and then I'm, I just, I'm not a big fan of, like, the, the people on stage for two hours just milling about, so I definitely, like, wanted to make a documentary, so I sort of snuck in a documentary on what was really just supposed to be a concert film and the most amazing part is like I got access to all the door zone footage so we put a lot of that stuff in there and you know uh, we, we premiered at the Asbury Park Film Festival and John Densmore came out I'm sure people look online they can see some pictures of it and so that was a real honor and, and we won the award and now we're just sort of seeing what's going to be a nice home for it because it's all because uh, Ray died of cancer so it's everything is a benefit for stand up to cancer so they're trying to find something that will make the charity some money and um, all that kind of stuff. That's amazing. I, I can't wait to see it because I love that stuff. But before you go, you said you had a crazy story. Could you hit us with the dopey before you go? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you prompted me to, to, to find some sort of horrible life experience that, that, would, that, would, that would glean some sort of interest to, to you and your listeners. So <laughs> me, I, I, I sheepishly thought of one where I, that's actually not my fault and I didn't do anything. It involves lots of drugs and near death. And I'm going to say it was... 1974, maybe 1975, and anybody who's been to Marin County, California knows the hills of Marin are very windy and, and um, you know, very treacherous if you're not sort of paying attention to turns. And it was me and a few kids in the back of this BMW, and the woman driving it had taken way too much heroin, and she nodded out at the wheel. And I just remember sitting in the back seat and seeing like cows going by the window, like in a, like you're like you're spinning in, a, in like the the teacups at Disneyland, and bobbed wire and glass breaking, and the woman that was in the passenger seat, her face went through the windshield, so all the blood splatters back on on oh me and all God. the other kids. We don't get a scratch. Everybody else in the car is messed up, but we're in the back, so the people are screaming. They've got like paramedics, you know, helicoptering to take this woman out. And Justin is just like, you know what? I'm out of here. This is embarrassing. So I take off down the road. The police have to like come and get me, and then, and because of all the blood, they're like, you know, this, you know, you, you got to get in the ambulance. You know, oh my God, this little kid is like bleeding. I'm like, you know, it's not my blood, dude. And I just remember showing up at the hospital. The woman is being, like, brought back to life with, like, you know, the resuscitation machines. It's such a horrible thing to be laughing at. And Dad shows up pissed. He is just not happy that his child was almost in a near-death experience. And I think is yelling at the woman who is, like, trying to be brought back to life. And all the time I'm just like, can I get some, like, candy? And, like, oh my so God. Get all these, like, lollipops. And I just remember I just wanted to get out of there. And I, then once they realized that the blood wasn't me, everyone kind of, like, relaxed a little bit. But I realized, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like, oh, my God, this, I look like, you know, I've just been butchered. So, anyway, so that, that's my... Uh, five-year-old first car accident um, due to drugs experience. Dude, that's a crazy story. That's a crazy traumatic dopey story. I was going to hear like the, the tripping and fucking Texas story, but that's like the near yeah. dead, your father almost killing the dying woman story. 
Yeah, no, just dad was pissed. I just, I just remember he came in and he was just, no, he was scared. I mean, I, like, I know I really appreciate, like, you know, you know, he was scared and, like, just, and everyone was just like, uh, sir, can you, like, give us a moment here while we try to, like, save this woman's life? And you can yell at her. Okay, thank you. That's insane. Uh, before you go, would you give me. Everybody lived, everybody lived, everybody, everybody survived, fortunately, and they're all still alive, and everybody, as far as I know, is doing well and still with us. So. Yes, that's, I mean, thank God. Thank God it's not a, a story where, I don't think you would have told the story if the woman died in the story. It would be just terrible. Well, I actually asked about it, rec- like, well, recently, within the last decade, because I, my memory of it, you know, I was so young, I didn't actually know that the woman made it, and then I found out, I was like, okay, good. So then I started telling, because otherwise I wouldn't tell the story, because right. that's just not respectful. Right. So I, I want to, will you do a 60-second game with me real quick, and then, we'll let, and then we'll let you go and be a father and do the good stuff you have to do? Sure. All right, 60 seconds. We call this the stash word. You ready? Okay. Another word for a wizard and the original name of the dead. Warlock? Yes. This chemical is known as the spirit molecule. It is a psychedelic with three initials. Psilocybin, LSD? No, uh, you smoke it and you trip really quickly, really intensely. DMT? Yes. The original drummer in the Beatles. Best. Yes. What candy did get thrown at the Beatles when they played that amazing show at Candlestick Park that your dad and Jerry and the boys went to? Jelly beans. Yes. Sober group associated with the Grateful Dead. Well, uh, Warfrat. Yes. Who was the New York City yippie Jewish activist that Pete Townsend kicked in the face at Woodstock? Abby Hoffman. Yes. Which classical composer did Jerry Garcia wake up saying he was not? Beethoven. Correct. Over-the-counter, cheapo version of nitrous oxide. Whippets. Yes. What food did Owsley force the band to eat in Los Angeles exclusively? Meat. And what did it say on the top of the bus? Uh, on the top of the bus? You know, the thing, the whole uh, thing. Uh, all right, we're out of further, time. Uh, <laughs> it said further on the front. That's, yeah, the top, top? that's what I mean. You got all okay, my stupid yeah. questions right. Thank you, Justin. No, and I got, I got one. You know why they, they spelled it with a U? Or they, they changed it from the U to the ER? Talk to me. Because uh, people were mistaken for Fuhrer. Oh, no way. It was like they were out there some psychedelic Nazis. So that's why they went back to like the real spelling with the ER. That's so funny. That's so there funny. You know, I used to spend summers at Ken Kesey. It was like my summer camp. So What was that like? Uh, that was funny. He, all his all his farm tools, because he lived on a big farm up in Eugene, and uh, all his farm tools were psychedelic, so he could see them in the field. So it was just like this psychedelic thing. And he used to set up the film projector, and he'd show me the acid test movies. And me being like 10 years old would look at like the big thing of Kool-Aid and be like, what's that? And everyone would laugh, and I'd be like, Babs was there, and the whole gang. And I'd be like, what are you guys drinking? <laughs> like, like totally straight faced, honest, had no you know, I don't I don't fucking know what they're you know. So it looked like like Kool Aid to me. Oh why everyone laughed and Yeah. But the great part was I got I was I, I I would take his books at night, read them. So I'd be reading like Cuckoo's Nest, and then when we came down for breakfast, I'd get to ask him about the book. Like, so what's with the Indian? Like, what's with that? You know. And so I it was like getting like um, um like having like the best literary teacher. You know. For That's summer amazing. Um, all out of everybody, if you could just—I know this is a retarded question—but like you met so many amazing people. Wh- who did you meet? Would you say that blew your mind more than anybody else in, in, in your incredible life around all this stuff? 
You know, um, it, it, that's uh, there's so many variants. I'm, I'm gonna have to have to plead. Um, You're gonna pass. I, I, I can't give you one on that because there's. You know, do you, do you pick like your idols, like Pete Townsend? Do you do you pick like your your emotional heroes, like Jerry? Do you pick your family? Do you pick you know all of all right. of them are on on a different level? So that that's my that's my cop out answer to that. No, it's a stupid um, question, Justin. It's like saying it's like saying what's what's your you know which 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 Jerry solo is your favorite? You know what I mean? Like you know, how, how do you really say that there's one? Yeah, maybe Deadheads do, but I mean there's just yeah. so many of them. Can you really like your summer? You know, do you like the subtle, soft, sweet ones? Do you like the rocking ones? Do you like the the ones where he misses some notes? What do you like? You know, it's everybody's. You know, no, I like it all. Choice. And I apologize for asking such a stupid question. And um, Not a and I also want to tell you that. Um, I really loved uh, your Bob Weir movie on Netflix, and I really I loved it. I thought it was just so so great, and um, and I really loved um, Long Strange Trip. It was it was just something that made my life so much better when it came out. And I just want to thank you for your work. It's fucking great. I know that we focused on um, you know your family and your experiences, but your work is so great and. Um, and before you stop, I mean, I know you're you're working on this drum movie now. Do you want to talk about that or no? Yeah, no, we can't. I, um, I mean, I'm posting all, all sorts of stuff about it. Um, yeah, I'm doing a, 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 a drummer documentary called Let There Be Drums. Uh, I've got about six interviews done. We just interviewed uh, last week. We had everyone from Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys, which is a, a personal thrill to me. Yeah. Slim Jim Phantom of the Stray Cats, who's sure. like as super cool as he looks. And, and the legend that is Jim Keltner. And I was just like, you know, and then I was over at Jim's house on Saturday. Like, does that guy got some stories? Oh, my goodness. And um, next week we're going up to, to interview the, the legends that are Jason Bonham and Mickey Hart. So amazing! I mean, is your dad going to be in the movie or no? Yeah, yeah, my dad and Mickey are executive producers. And it's going to be "Let There Be Drums." Is it called? Yeah, "Let There Be Drums" with the exclamation mark, like help. That's great. That's exciting. Uh, we had uh, we had Steven Adler from Drums, uh, from Guns and Roses. Yeah, yeah I, already, I already interviewed him. He's in it. He's a trip, right? He's funny. I like I like that guy. We uh, he he's, he he was a fun he was a fun guy. I'd never met him until we actually sat down to interview. So it's like it's like that thing you're saying about going up to people and just asking them questions. It was literally like sitting down with a camera on you and be like, okay, so you and Axel, let's get into that, you know. So it was like you got to ask all the questions that in, in normal conversation might take you a little while to get to. So and you, he's a good guy. I like Stephen. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. He's a total sweetheart, and he was totally generous with me, which I really appreciated. And I really appreciate this man. Um, yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much. You can ever do a you know fiction film, or is it always going to be docs? No, you know it's uh, whatever whatever people give me a budget to do. Yeah, I mean that's always been the, the dream is to someday get there. But right now, docs are just we're we're, we're in the, the the sweet spot. You know the the, the 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 nice era for especially music documentary. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride this train for a while. Yeah, there's some amazing stuff coming out and. Uh, and I really loved your stuff, and I'm exciting to see your drum movie. And uh, you know, if you ever want to do a long form Last Jewish Waiter or a long form Dopey, just hit me up. Dude, I, I've got I've got your phone number now. Be be warned. All right, Justin. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. So that's a big treat for me to get Justin Kreutzman, acclaimed filmmaker and member of the Grateful Dead family, onto Dopey. 
Um, there's a ton of people in my imagination that I just cannot wait to get on the show. And Justin was on that list, so we can scratch him off, and uh, maybe he'll come on again. I didn't even know he was in recovery when we did it. So uh, that was a nice little bit of a coincidence or a Todd shot, if you will. So Game of Thrones is running uh, back So I decided to get my resident Game of Thrones expert and dear friend, Aurora, back on the show. Welcome back, Aurora. Hi, Dave. Um, Hi, Nation. How you doing? A girl has no name. I'm good. Tell me the story. What were you about to say? Joblessness? Job is on the front? What's happening? I got a job. You're going to Gay Paris. I'm going to Gay Paris for the month of June. How lucky am I? What an opportunity. What a gift of recovery. Woo! I'm so excited. But you were just saying you got a different job. No, no, that's the job. I have the one job, and it starts uh, at the end of May. And so I'm trying to fill, you know, the next three or four weeks with another job if I can. So, you know, I'm still still hustling. I'm still looking. That's very exciting. But if it doesn't happen, that's okay. You think you're going to go to meetings in France? Yeah, I, I am going to try to go to some, you know, as many meetings as I can go to in France. I know there's a lot of um, great uh, English-speaking meetings in Paris. So yeah, definitely. That is it's very exciting. Fun. It's always fun when you're traveling to go to meetings, you know. I've never done it, so I don't know. I mean, I've really literally never done it. When I travel, I'm with the family, and there's never time for me to break away and go to a meeting. I never get to travel alone. So, uh, I, I, But I can imagine it's an amazing adventure because you get everything right there. You get a little community. You get people to interact with. You get fucked up stories. You get recovery. You get all of it. Yep, yep. So um, I'm very excited to have you back on the show. And... Um, You know, I've been hearing a lot of people, or I've heard from one person who said that I should get a a new co-host, to which I said, no, I'm not going to get a new co-host. I'm going to uh, re-rotate old co-hosts, of which you are one. So what do you think? Do you think you're on too much? Do you think it's right right about the right amount? I think it's right about the right amount. What an honor. I I love being on. It's super fun. I love it. Why do you like being on the show? Um, because I like talking to you and I like, you know, I like, like listening to the voicemails and reading the emails and like, you know, just kind of thinking about recovery and what we're going to talk about. But we talk anyway and we, we talk about recovery and we talk about addiction. I think you like being ensconced in the magic that is dopey. I do like being ensconced in the magic. I like I like the anticipation of like when you're going to release the episode and and just it's fun. I mean, not that I can listen to them after they air, but I listen to the ones I'm not on. So you listen to the ones you're not on, and you don't listen to the ones you're on. Yeah. So that's different. You used to just listen to the ones you were on. Yeah, it's changed. That's it's amazing. Changed. Um, so lots of st- so other co-hosts who uh, you guys should know or not know that are going to be on again. Amy Dresner will be back on. Uh, my beautiful uh, pseudo wife Linda will be back on. Uh, DK is going to be back on. DK was amazing, Aurora. You didn't hear him. It's amazing. Um, I can't wait to hear him. My friend Justin, Jim, these guys will be back on. If you guys have an opinion about. Uh, 
potential co-hosts, uh, write an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about my rotating plan? I'm also thinking about doing a little bit more like Mark Maron-esque style of just doing it alone. What do you think about that? I think you should try it. Now, but first, I want to kick it off with this exciting, dopey email. It comes to us from Matthew. He sent it uh, a few weeks ago, and I love this email, so I'm going to read it. He says, hey, Dave, or do you have this one on on tap, or do you want me to read it? Go ahead. All right. Hey, Dave, I've really been meaning to write the podcast for a long time, but never got around to it until today, after I listened to the latest episode, episode 182 with Dylan. His truck driver tale is my favorite drug story aside from yours and Chris's. I've been listening to Dopey since January 2018. I first discovered the podcast by searching for heroin in the podcast app because I've always been interested in drugs and their effects. I was immediately captivated by you and Chris and your playful, brotherly chemistry crazy and crazy drug stories from you two and the Dopey Nation. When I listen to Dopey, I have a big smile on my face and feel like I'm hanging out with close friends. I've seriously never had so many belly laughs from a podcast. Uh, Aurora, you remember, um, do you know where that belly laughs comes from? No. It's funny. Um, it's because Aaron used to say that I would get belly laughs when I shared at RFI. Uh. And, um, and then Chris one time went with me and Aaron to this meeting in Brooklyn when I spoke. And afterwards, I and afterwards I said, oh, I got a lot of belly laughs. You know, kind of just trying to make Aaron feel like a part of it. And after that, Chris would always say belly laughs on the show, which I think is funny. Anyway, I love that story. Uh, I've binged all the episodes besides the lost tapes chronologically and look forward to Saturday mornings for new content. The quality and popularity of Dopey has improved. How could the popularity improve with each passing episode? I'm a big fan of the longer format episodes and love to see the caliber of guests grow from Modi to household names like Jamie Lee Curtis, Mark Marin, and Dr. Drew. And of course, the great Justin Kreutzmann. <laughs> um, anyway, I just wanted to write to express my admiration and thanks for everything you do. You and Chris really helped me when I was going through tough times. I also want to mention that I live about five minutes from the Muddy Cup in Seattle and think of your story every time I pass by it. That was a coffee shop in Seattle that they banned me from. Fucking Muddy Cup. If you guys have dopey stickers uh, in Seattle, you should put some on the fucking Muddy Cup. Anyway, do you ever hear that story, Aurora? No. It was years ago when when Robbie got married. I went out there, and every morning I would go use the bathroom at this coffee place, the Muddy Cup. And I think one time I went to use the bathroom before I bought the coffee, and they told me I couldn't do that. And I told them that they were fascists, and they told me I couldn't come back. I thought it was going to be a fucking dopey story like you were using. You weren't even high when you were at Robbie's wedding, were you? No, I was totally sober. Even better. You know, so I wrote an anti, I wrote a mean message to them on Facebook, and now I have this gigantic podcast to say, fuck you, Muddy Cup. I hate the Muddy Cup. Um, I probably don't really hate them, but I think it's funny. Now, here's the really, I love this email because I love that he asked me questions. You ready? Alright, let's hear it I have a few questions and don't know when the next time I'll have the opportunity to ask them So here we go Question number one 
when you were using, did you prefer black tar or East Coast powder and why? Well, Matthew, thank you for the question. You like that, Rora? I sound like a real pro, right? Yeah, you really do. Thank you. Um, to be honest, I had no preference. I preferred whichever dope was stronger and cheaper and you got more for the money. So usually the black tar, you got more for the money, but the powder was stronger. I like them both. You know, what can I say? Um, and I know you never did heroin, Aurora, God bless you, so you don't have an opinion about that, right? Correct. Okay. Question number two. Uh, and I think this is fitting because we had Justin Kreutzman, uh, son of Bill Kreutzman, on this episode. He says, what are your thoughts on debting company playing with John Mayer? Approve or disapprove? Now, Rory, you have any thoughts on this or no? Uh, I haven't. I mean, I don't listen. So I, I John Mayer, though, I disapprove. All right. I, I'm going to say this. I don't think debting company are good. Um, I love the Grateful Dead. And I think John Mayer, you know, the the backstory behind it is like he heard Jerry play someplace and he had never listened and then he got really into it. And then somehow he like hooked it up with Bob Weir that he was going to be the guitar player. And I have to say that John Mayer is handling the guitar parts with amazing grace. Like this dude is playing it. He learned every fucking Jerry Garcia lick and he plays them incredibly well. However... Having said that, Jerry Garcia was a guitar player, but he was also a great singer. And, uh, and, and between John Mayer's cheesy fucking shit and Bob Weir's fucking terrible singing, it's like they're fucking fucked. And, um, and like I live for Jerry Garcia's voice. He had the sweetest voice, and these guys just can't do it. And if you really want proof, if you if you guys are dead fans and you have a different opinion, you know, that's fine. But go listen to the Grateful Dead play Mississippi Half Step and then listen to Dead and Company do it and try not to fucking rip your eyes out when you hear Bob Weir try to sing that song. It's terrible. Just terrible. All right. Question number three. What's the status with the feud between the dopey nation and the dope sick nation? Is there still beef? You know about this, Rory? Yeah. Uh, I will say that there will always be beef between the dopey nation and the dope sick nation. Because there has to be. They stole the fucking name. However, having said that, you know, Frankie and Allie are, you know, nice people who are trying to help people. And, you know, the, the, the fucking producer, Ian Manheimer, seems like a good guy. Ironically, with that name, right? Have you ever heard of something so weird as that? That is so crazy. Fucking Ian Manheimer. Anyway, I wish them well, but there will always be beef because beef makes for a better show, right? And have you had any contact with them, or is there anything, any plans for, like, future seasons, or... I don't know. As far as I know, Frankie relapsed at the end of the season, so I I hope he's well. I I reached out to him on Instagram, and he didn't sound like he was doing that great, but maybe he's doing better now. Uh, Ian Manheimer reached out to me that he was coming to New York, and he wanted to see if I wanted to get coffee, and, uh, and I do. So if I hear from Ian Manheimer, I'm going to get coffee with him, and uh, I'll let you guys know uh, if maybe the Dope Sick Nation wants to jump ship and come on to the Dopey Nation. That'd be cool. Well, we'll see. More will be revealed. Now, the next question, what's going on with the Othello cookie? Oh, God. What? This is like my favorite email I've ever gotten. Oh, my God. What? Of course. The Othello cookie. You don't want to know what's going on with the Othello cookie? Oh, my God. 
God, nothing's going on with the Othello cookie. You might think that nothing is going on with the Othello cookie, but you know a little show called Top Chef? <laughs> yes. Are you familiar with Top Chef? Full of shit. What's going on with you and Top Chef? I had a coffee with the great Gail Simmons. You know Gail Simmons? Yeah. And Gail and I had a coffee downtown, and we talked about the Othello, which she thought was a brilliant idea. And uh, and she hooked. Yeah, two years ago, when was this coffee? In the fall. In the fall. Okay. Maybe, maybe it was uh-huh. maybe it was in the winter. It was you know it was a little while ago. <laughs> but Gail and I had a nice little talk about the Othello cookie. Uh-huh. And she thought it was brilliant, and she hooked me up with her baker. It, you know when it was? It was it was late November. <laughs> Remember how your baker also used to bake weed cookies, so all of the fucking Othellos would like have the taste of weed without the potency. It was the worst, <laughs> worst of both worlds. Um, yes, I do remember that. Now, the new baker I met with in December, and she seemed like very pro, but I just met with her again, and I think she's under some sort of psychological duress right now, and she said she's going to re... Yeah, trying to fucking bake the Othello cookie. <laughs> the Othello cookie, it's like, <laughs> it's like a recipe for insanity for all bakers. Um, but she, we and her, we, we met at a coffee shop, right? And we sat there, and we talked about cookies for like a half an hour, and then she said that she couldn't bake it until the summertime. And then I said, do you want to come with me to the supermarket and I'll show you some cookies I like? And she said, yes. And me and this baker walked through the aisle and I bought all these cookies. And then we sat in the coffee shop and we ate cookies. That sounds like a dream for you, Dale. It was fascinating. So look for, so Matthew, look for the, the next chapter in the Othello uh, cookie to come in uh, June. Now, the, June of 2022, the Othello cookie. Dude, imagine if the Othello cookie. It's been, been in R&D for about five years now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever like the idea of the Othello cookie? Um, I, I do like the idea of the Othello cookie. Can I ask I you a question? I mean, even though a lot of your other ideas have been better, the Othello is like, it really has legs. It does have longevity. And it might actually get made. What what ideas have I had that are better than the Othello cookie? Um, well... I don't know. Maybe Oy was better. Well, it's funny you should mention that because this week, you know what's coming out? What? The limited edition embroidered Oy hoodie. Oh, wow. Limited edition, as in 12 will be made. Oh, snap. Do you want to be... Have you sent any dopey stuff yet? Huh? No, I have not sent any dopey stuff. And that's something else we have to talk about. Now, with the Othello cookie, though, for those who don't know, the Othello cookie is a two-sided black and white cookie that I developed at Aurora's Riot about five years ago in my old apartment. And the trick of the cookie is, what was the trick about the cookie, Aurora? What was the tagline? Um, oh, fuck. It's black and white all over. Black and white. Jesus Aurora, say say it like you mean it. (laughs) You're driving me crazy. Black and white all over. We're talking about the Othello too long. No way, you can't talk. You can't talk about the Othello too long. It's black and white in every bite. It's the best thing that happened to cookies since milk. It is the it is the thing that will make me a rich man one day. It will not be dopey. It will be the Othello cookie. 
Wouldn't that be a twist? I'd love that. Anyway, then the last question on the list, thank God, um, is the guy, and he writes in parentheses, Tony Baloney, who took you and Chris out to lunch still courting you. And uh, the guy that took me and Chris out to lunch actually took me and Chris out to dinner, and his name was Randy. Uh, Tony Baloney was an old heroin dealer I used to deal with. So uh, Randy's around. You know, Randy, Randy hates, uh, he hates women guests on Dopey. Randy's a classic misogynist, <laughs> which I kind of enjoy from Randy. Dave, who's that guy that we used to buy weed from? Remember he would pick us up in his car and we would get weed from him? Where? In, in Chelsea. No recollection. Zero. Really? Zero. Fuck, I was counting on you. Well, there was a guy that used to work at Manny's Music, this deadhead named Todd, that um, would have the killest bud ever. And um, I remember him. I don't remember. I I heard from another one of Todd's friends who I was friends with who told me about this place that we used to go in Chelsea called Andy's Auto Garage that sold crazy nuggets there, too. Um, I don't remember a guy that picked me up in a car, but it sounds familiar. Yeah, this older guy used to pick you and I up in the car and drive around with us and install his kind, but I can't remember. I'll, I'll try to think about Are you it. possibly confusing your story with the great legend of Pete Knighty in the park? No. Do you remember Pete no. Knighty? He was that old hippie in the meadow. And you, yeah, and you had to give him money wrapped in brown paper? Yes, yes. Didn't he used to come around in his car, too? No, he never came around in his car. But he would always wear, like, a, a Vishnu tank top, and he was a <laughs> dick. And But I love that guy. He was, like, a classic New York City hippie weed dealer. I love that guy. So... Randy's out there Tony Baloney I, I always look for Tony Baloney I bet he's dead If anybody knows Tony Baloney His real name was Mike I wish him well He sold me a lot of A lot of good heroin But he was a good guy uh, What do you think About those questions? Um, I think that You really love those questions And I, I think that Those questions Made you super happy Yeah, I love those questions. In fact, I'm thinking about starting a new segment on the show where people ask me questions. Uh, All right, all right. Well, I was talking to my friend Brad, and Brad said we should do a new segment where people ask advice, and they write in for advice. So, Dopey Nation, if you guys want to write in... We don't give advice. You share your experience, strength, and hope. You don't, you don't give advice. We're not in the advice business. I'll give advice. <laughs> You're an idiot. Don't give advice. I'll give you advice. Stop watching Game of Thrones. It's going to disappoint you. There's no way I'm quitting now. I'm just kidding. Winter. That was just a stupid Winter. joke. Winter is here, motherfucker. All right. So here. so here we go. Okay. Fucking... Winter is here. Game of Thrones is on. We're in the end of the second episode. Um, Aurora, my Game of Thrones expert, uh, and and we watched a lot of Game of Thrones together, did we not? Yeah, I think I got you into the show. You, you did like, not. No, you, I'm not watching this fucking no, show. No, no, not true. Oh, yes, yes, it's, yes. No, it's not true. I can tell it's you, true. it's not. It's not true. It's not I got true. You into Mad Men and Game of Thrones. You didn't get me into Game of Thrones. And I don't think you got me into Mad Men. In fact... You're so full of shit. 
Well, I, I'll tell you the Game of Thrones story if you want to hear, which is that when I was living in the old apartment on Grand Street, um, I was on heroin, you know, and I was bad on heroin. That was like the like the final like really bad dope relapse where I was doing, you know, hundreds of dollars of heroin a day. And um, and I was looking for a show to watch, and it was the first season of Game of Thrones. And uh, it's so rare that you put on the TV and, like, it clicks with you. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, this show is good, you know? And I, and I was high as shit on heroin, and I think I put on, like, the first... I think it was the first episode of the, of the first season with, you know, Ned Stark and the Dire Wolf. And I was like, holy shit, this show... And I like to hate stuff, you know me. I love to hate stuff. I was like, holy shit, this show is pretty good. And, um, and I watched that season all fucked up on dope. Um, so you did definitely... And you and I weren't even talking then. So you definitely did not turn me on to Game of Thrones. I definitely 100% turned you on to Mad Men. See, I, I think I'll refute that as well, and I'll say... No, you fought me so hard on Mad Men, and I was like, you've got to stick with it, and then you loved it and became obsessed with it, and then we started watching together, and we finished the series together. Okay, I'll give you Mad Men, but I can't give you Game of Thrones. I'll accept that. Okay, so here we are, last season of Game of Thrones, winter is here, Aurora, let's hear your opinions, but keep it, don't, don't go crazy with this. the Night King, first of all. I think that the only real prediction that I really can get behind is Gendry's death. The thing that's going to be great about Gendry's death is it's going to be fucking amazing to watch Arya kill everybody after Gendry dies. And I think that weapon that Gendry made for her is going to be badass. However, let's just deal with the negative aspects before we fucking go rah-rah crazy for this show. When you say that the second episode is better than the first, what would it take to make a worse, epi- a worse episode than the first? Um, oh, God, if there'd been more scenes like the one with, like, you know, um, Euron and, and Cersei, that would have been worse. Oh yeah, man. But they could have easily I mean there there was no the thing that makes Game of Thrones amazing is tension, heat, and consequences for your actions. Those are the three things. Correct or incorrect? Uh I would say uh besides heat, also ice. Fire and ice, Dave. Fire right. and ice. Right. Blood, guts, de- depraved battles, you know, but like I think that by boxing all the characters into one place like Winterfell, you kill the the possible dynamics for things to happen. You follow me? I don't we needed that. We needed everybody to get together and kind of like, you know, 
Brienne getting knighted was a huge deal, you know? Her being so totally in love with Jamie Lannister. And I think Jamie's going to die the next episode, you know? No like, way. Jamie's not going to know. That Brienne's ever loved, you know? That's not true. She loved Renly Baratheon. She loved That's him. True. She did, but romantically. She knew Renly was gay. Jamie, she, like, loves romantically. Do you think Jamie will have sex with her before he dies? No, but I think they will, um, you know, there'll be some kind of, like, affirmation of their love for each other. Like, Jamie will be dying and be like, Brianna, I love you. You don't think he's going to throw her a bone before the end? I don't think there's time, dude. Dude, he, that, you don't think he, he's going to use his golden hand in some sort of untoward sex act with Brienne of Tarth? <laughs> Dave, come on. Dopey's a family show. Is it? <laughs> no. Um, um, well, what about what about Arya then? What about seeing young Arya be sexually active for the first time? Yeah, and then, you know, it wasn't... You know, I was just glad they had some fucking heat on the show. Um, it made me very uncomfortable, and, and Homegirl did not look satisfied after. Wow, what was she... She was looking off. You know, what was she thinking about? She was thinking, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Never mind. I would think she was thinking that she likes girls. I always Maybe. thought Arya liked <laughs> girls, and that's probably why she was unsatisfied. <laughs> But um, but I do love Arya. I love Arya. Gendry can. I don't like him. Like I, I even. I mean, I think that like Theon is is you know he's showing up. But like the thing about Theon is his detour into insanity as a reek. He never really paid the consequences for getting his penis chopped off and losing his mind. Like, how does he have a mind now? How does he look so together? I, I think these are problems with the show. I mean, what is driving Theon is that he wants to make amends for turning on the Starks. And so he is ready to fucking die for them, for the cause. Like, that is, is going to be how he is, you know, vindicated. Like, that's his one goal right now, you know? is like, to try to make amends for how he wrongs them. So he's going to go to the Godswood, and I think that's why I think he's going he's gonna to die this week. All right, Dopey Nation, I need to be completely transparent. Before Aurora and I recorded this, we recorded 16 minutes about Game of Thrones, and I, <laughs> and I had to erase it, because Aurora's just a little too excited about this stupid show. And, in, and I love Game of Thrones, but that first episode of this season is such garbage that I don't want to go any further than we just went. I think that's enough space. Dopey Nation, I want well, what your... About how, what about the weird Tormund or, origin story? The weird and funny scene... Well, I think Tormund is, is a funny character, but they stick it up a little too much. I do not believe that he suckled at the teat of a giantess after he bedded her. Do you? Um, I don't know, but I loved it. But there is, a, but I also kind of hate the shtick too. Like there is a lot of shtick, like where kind of like the show is like making jokes now. That you know, I think after so many seasons of a hit show, they te- it tends to happen, and and that for me sometimes I'm like, okay, it's got to end now. You know, it's like the show making fun of itself. Right. It's like um, it's, it's it's. I think they call that Uraburus when the snake eats its own tail. Um, mm-hmm. The thing about it though is that what the show used to do is it had danger and death, heat, sex, betrayal. Uh, consequences, and now it just has shtick all over the place. 
And it's like it used to have all that shit, and then it didn't have shtick. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It never had any shtick. Well, it had it had little bits of shtick that were incredibly satisfying. Um, let's move on though. Like Tyrion has very little shtick right now. Well, you really, you really, you really won't let this go. Um, All right, let's move on. Um, fuck, I'm sorry. Tyrion, I think, didn't get it done. I think Tyr- I think Tyrion, Tyrion's performance was lame, but he's still better than the rest of them. Uh, Sam predicts that Tyrion will sit on the Iron Throne at the end of this, which would be satisfying. And it's possible he could. I seem to think, though, lately that Tyrion's gonna. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. You think Tyrion's gonna? You think everybody's gonna die? I don't know. I, I, kind of, I could see Tyrion ending up there. I could see Sansa ending up there. It's not gonna be Sansa. It's not gonna be Sansa. It's gonna be either Tyrion, Jon Snow, Daenerys, or Danny. I'm, I'm just done with Danny. I'm like, she needs to die. Well, you know, she's just gotten too full of herself. She's going to, su- she needs to suffer. When she suffered on the show, she was great. Yeah, she's annoying right now. She's just too, she's too full of herself. She needs to suffer. Um, let's move on. Fuck this Game of Thrones business. I'm going to play a dopey voicemail. You're actually, Dopey Nation, if that was too much Game of Thrones, write us an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Let's play uh, a crazy dopey story from Dylan. Okay. What's up, Dopey Nation? First time, long time. Uh, my name is Dylan. I'm from Long Island, New York, and I'm going to hit y'all with some dopey. Uh, so, like I said, I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, somewhere along the line, during my active addiction, I ended up in Mississippi. Um, I am going to save you that story because Dave likes to keep it um, five to seven minutes long. Um, but. So I'm living in Jackson, Mississippi, um, and I am in a sober house. It's the second sober house I've been in since I've been down there. I got kicked out of the first one, and I'm staying with this kid, Corey. He's my roommate um, in this treatment center. And Corey's a cool kid. Corey, unfortunately, passed away, but um, he's on drug court, and he's not using, but he's, he's selling ice still, right, um, on the low. And so one day, Corey comes home, and... You know, he he said, "Bro, I'm having a fucking horrible day. Uh, I'm using uh, fuck it all." And I said, uh, "Okay, all right." Um, and, and so, fast forward a half hour, I'm in a trailer park, and Corey is smoking ice with this 70 year old Vietnam veteran um, with no teeth named Daryl, and they're hitting the pipe. And, and I've always, always, always hated uppers, um, so I, I really. Really wasn't planning on um, on smoking, but I, I I got some some beer, some forty ounces, and and I drank those. And uh, afterwards, I, w- I was feeling pretty courageous, and, and so I said, "Fuck it, give me a hit." So um, they rolled the bowl for me, and and I fucking I took a hit, and they said, "Did you feel it?" And I said, "No," and they said, "Try it again," and, and I did, and I blew out a fucking uh, gigantic cloud. And and they both started laughing and um and i just started flying i i started fucking flying and uh and i didn't want to stop and and so i proceeded to smoke crystal meth for uh the next few days and when it was time to come down it was time to use my drug of choice and so um at this time i was seeing 
a girl who was in the female sober house of where I was at, and uh, she'd introduced me to some opiate users in the area. So I called them up. I met up with them. Um, we used, and one of them offered me some Xanax, and, and this is where um, the story takes a turn for the worse. So I took the Xanax, and... Uh, they said, hey, we're, we're going to the bar and we're going to shoot some pool. Do you want to come? And I said, absolutely. That sounds uh, pretty awesome. So I went to the bar and these kids were pretty wealthy and they were buying me drinks the entire night. And I had one of those highs going on where, where I was just drinking like an absolute fish. And I blacked out and, and I woke up um, and I was in the back of this bar and my pants were below my pants were at my ankles and, and I was holding my, my cock um, in my hand and, and somebody was yelling at me, hey, hey, hey. Um, and, and I just looked up and, and I was a little disoriented and I got myself together. I, I must have um, went outside to, to pee and I, I like ducked out, I guess. Um, for hours, I must have been standing there with, with my cock in my hand. And so, you know, I, I follow this guy, walk back into the bar, and, and the, it's five in the morning at this point. The lights are up, they're putting up the chairs, and this guy starts yelling to his coworkers, Hey, I, I just caught this guy jerking off out back. And I, I immediately responded. I shouted out, I wasn't jerking off. I'm just really fucked up on drugs. Um, like that was like a rational explanation for, for um, what I was doing back there. And, uh, and so they threw me out. I, I called up the kids I was with. They picked me up. Um, you know, basically the next thing I remember is going down on this um, girl for what, what seemed like hours, um, you know, probably because I, I couldn't get my car card and the girl I was seeing at the time um, was relentlessly calling our phones probably because she knew that um, we were running around shooting drugs and fucking each other the entire night um, so whatever I, I eventually the night ends and they drive me back to the sober house and when I get there the staff is is waiting for me and the jigs up and I uh, give it a half ass attempt they said hey you uh you weren't in for bed checks last night and i said yes i was and they said okay take this drug test and uh and at that point the jig was up i, I went into the bathroom um i didn't have any clean pee and uh i just let it rip and i just about burned a hole in the bottom of this cup and when the counselor looked at it um he he just uh he said positive for methamphetamines, positive for opiates, positive for benzodiazepines, positive for marijuana, positive for alcohol. And, uh, you know, he looked at me just um, about like I was the craziest motherfucker he's ever seen. And, uh, and, and needless to say, I got kicked out of that sober house. And, you know, it, it, it took me a few more years. It, it took me a few more treatment centers. It, it took me a few more of a lot of things. But by the grace of God, um, my clean date is January 6, 2015. Um, I'm 25 years old. I, I have a little over four years clean. And, um, you know, I, I'm involved in the 12-step fellowship. And I've worked at a substance abuse treatment facility for years now. And I'm attending a university and you know my my life today is truly um beyond my wildest dreams you know um and that's all i got stay strong toodles so that was fellow long islander dylan 
uh, bringing the dopey, perfect length, and he he very much had a, a John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever kind of accent. Don't hit my hair. Don't. <laughs> why you hit my hair? No, you don't like my I John. I like Dylan. I like Dylan a lot because uh, you know, yeah, he, he, I understand where he's from, and I and I just like that you know he's sober now and uh, works in recovery and yeah. It made me. It made me feel happy and proud of him. It made me feel proud of him. You know that, like, like I'm so proud of that person. I don't even know him. Well, right on. Um, well, I'm glad, and I think uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Aurora, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to thank have you. you. So that was Aurora, and um, and now for the grand finale of the show, lots of people have been clamoring for his return to the show. Which always baffles me Um, But here he is In all his glory Recovered from strep throat My father, Alan Welcome to the show Yeah, right Did you say clamoring? Is that what you said? Yeah, there's some clamoring You you don't watch them clamor for you? I I didn't notice all the clamoring No, I must must have missed that But but you certainly didn't have me on the show For a long, long time I think you've been avoiding that You were ill You took ill uh, well, you know, by the way, my voice is still bad. You hear that? It's it, really, it's not good. I was teaching today, and and I had to have, have some of the students actually talk instead of me, which was was a big help. Anyway, I have seven things written down here. Hold on, uh, hold on. Before we get to this, so you're saying you haven't noticed the clamoring for you on social media? First of all, n- no, <laughs> no, I haven't noticed that. So no. how long? How long has it been since you've been on the show, Dad? I have no idea. You you uh, haven't been keeping track? No, I have not been keeping track. It's been a long time. I mean, six, seven, eight, nine weeks. I don't know. Something something like that. So Aurora was on tonight also? Aurora was on tonight. She was upset that she couldn't talk to you. Oh, yeah. Well, that would have been... Yeah, your technology is still up up the creek without a paddle. All right, we're going to get to your criticisms in a second. I think I think Aurora said like you know only like three times, you know. Yeah, well, what's the other thing you say? Uh, Me, I say you know what I mean. That's the thing you don't like. Yeah, that's that's awful. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's awful. All right, so let's get to your your seven criticisms. Well, which one do you think we should do first? Well, I don't know any of them. So, Dad, why don't you just speak freely? You've been, you've been right, listening to the show for yeah. for a long time. Did you listen to all the episodes before you started coming on? Yes, of course. That's not true. Well, I don't. I mean, no, yeah, of course I did. I must have. I, I listen. I'm old. Are you kidding? Yes, I did. Yes. So the the floor is yours, Dad. Say whatever you want well, to say. That, all right, we'll start off with that one star review. Oh, I uh, forgot that, about that, that. I forgot about that. Well, that's that. Well, I think it's actually a, a young lady, Sarah. I think was her name. Did you read what it said? I didn't. I um, didn't read it. I read it off the off the show. But I forgot. I should have talked about it with Aurora. She would have had a a more contemporary and hip take on it than you. But let's get to that one star review. Hold on. Well, it, it's going to be from. Yeah, why don't you read it, Dad? I don't have. What do you mean? Okay, I'll read it. it. You should be more prepared, I think. Um, Why would you give criticism? Here we go. Hold on, hold on. One star review, blah, blah, blah. Oh, here we go. By New York City, Sarah. So that's really painful because she comes from our... She lives in New York City. Yeah, she's from our hometown. Here we go. 
<laughs> I sometimes enjoy this podcast, but I'm often struck by the fact that it's mainly wealthy white men who are misogynistic at best. I can't recall ever hearing a story told by a racial minority, and I remember listening to just two by women. The men sharing have wealthy parents, one with a Manhattan apartment that we hear about in every single episode to fall back on. They undergo numerous stints in rehab that would bankrupt most American families. The problem is that there's just no self-awareness, maturity, or acknowledgement of the privilege that they are able to employ. Most of the guests would be in jail by now if they were black, some forever due to grotesque mandatory minimums, and yet Dopey is a joke about what white guys behaving badly can get away with. It might be helpful to be slightly less narcissistic and to recognize that recovery stories are more than those of white men with endless means. Yes. Uh, so where should I begin with this? Well, obviously, the fact that she's from New York City is giving her a false impression. Uh, do you think, uh, well, you would know better than most people, we're not a wealthy family. Uh, no, you, Dad, in terms of the scope, in terms of the scope of the universe, Dad, we are a wealthy family. We're not a wealthy family like like Chris's family. And, and you, what you don't realize, I think, is that you came up in a very poor family. Your family growing up was very poor, but the family that you created with mom for us was, you know, ensconced in a very, very comfortable middle class. Let's, let's just talk about what this young lady said. First of all, she thinks that this Manhattan apartment is a wealthy <laughs> Manhattan apartment. Oh, God. Come on, the, fact, the facts of the matter are, the facts of the matter are, is that you were brought up in a place that made teachers and policemen and firemen able to live in Manhattan. This place that we're living in is a... I'm not living there. You're living there. Well, of course, yeah. I'm living in a huge house on a hill because of my incredible waiter salary. Yeah, well, that's another story, that you don't even own that house. and that's All right, all right, all right. Case, look, the, the, woman, the woman is, is, is of course, correct about the, the prejudice in the United States and the prejudice against minorities, et cetera. She doesn't acknowledge, she doesn't talk about prejudice. What she talks about... She talks about, about minorities, not having, not having the same privilege that white people have. I know that you're enjoying to be on the show, but let me interject for a second. What she's, yeah. I mean, first of all, New York City Sarah... I hate to tell you, but I don't think you're really listening to the show because we certainly don't talk about my dad's apartment in every single episode, and I certainly can't fall back on it. You think you'd let me live there, Dad? Maybe. Possibly. Um, The the fact of the matter is that that Chris and I did have... uh, you know, have you know? For heroin addicts, we had a pretty easy go of it. But the fact is, we're heroin addicts, and the show isn't about multicultural addiction. The show is about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And um, if I had more friends of color who were addicts, they would come on. But my friends of color aren't addicts. Anyway, back to you. Uh, the point of the matter is, is that all of the wealth that Chris's family had. It did not do any good at the end. 
I mean, that's the bottom line of all this. Wealth did not do any good in terms of monetary wealth. It, 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 that was an illusion in, in, in terms of that. And that me paying for rehab was not such an easy thing to do based upon me being the teacher and mom being a teacher. This was not easy for us in terms of, quote, monetary. It was difficult. And sending you to Florida instead of sending to a frozen wasteland was just based upon money. That was a, one of the rehab choices we had. Well, because we got a deal. Um, and what my father is referring to is that, you know, he sent me to uh, a very expensive treatment. Downtown tre- Del Rey, yeah. Well, it was it was I was in a an outpatient treatment center in Manhattan that was expensive that you paid for, and they suggested and I couldn't stop using in that place, and they suggested that I go inpatient, and you were like, well, what are your options? And they said you can either go to the 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 South Shore of Suffolk County for you know this amount of money. In February. Yeah, in February, where the ice flows are going in the Great South Bay, or you can go to you know comfortable warm Delray Beach and I was like and send I me to not f- want to send you to Delray Beach and I was like send me wherever's warm and then you just found out which one was cheaper and you sent me there yeah. and and the place you down south the they gave me a scholarship because I was such an amazing student it was the first scholarship oh. I ever got well in, in any case uh, Sarah we're not a wealthy family unless you talk about me having a wonderful marriage and a loving wife and a good family I, w- I am very wealthy but all of that well dad you're wealthier than very poor people you have to admit that uh, listen that's true but again I want you to understand the other part of it is that your brother and I we, we worked very very hard we had more than one job at a time and we worked very very hard to try and, and make life as easy but New York City uh, Sarah isn't implying that you're not a hard worker. She's just saying that you... She's implying that I'm wealthy and I have this multi-million dollar apartment. This apartment is, is, is not worth anything when I die at all. And it's, it's, it's just a godsend that we have a nice place to live in Manhattan because of, uh, of uh, uh, people that thought about being able to have people who aren't wealthy able to still live in Manhattan and it needs to be more housing like we're what he's talking about is that we I grew up my mom my mom's mother got an apartment in middle income housing in the mid 1960s my dad has lived there since 1972 correct Anyway, so it's middle-income housing that was uh, originally created uh, for, you know, anybody who was working. You know, it was the International Ladies Garment, Garment Workers Union Association housing. Yeah. and uh, yeah. But, you know, I remember when I had my apartment there before I lost it, I, I mean, I was making too much money to live there, and I had to pay a surcharge, um, which you do, too. So, you know. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, nobody in wants to hear case. about about you railing against Sarah. She wants Dopey to be more multicultural, and and well, I would the love point it. The matter is, the point of the matter is, if she would listen, I, and I, listen, I don't want to be upset with Sarah. I just want her to know the facts in terms of quote wealth in terms of monetary. But the Dopey Nation, we, you've heard people from all over the country and all over the world, and man, there's a lot of different people out there of all 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 kinds of monetary wealth, race, etc. Out there and who are listening, and and Sarah should have a little bit more respect, you know, for all of the people out there. And of course, anybody can call up who wants to call up and and take part and be in uh, and be. Well, nobody can call up. The the real fact, you know, I'm I'm not 
talking about calling. Hold on. I just want, the fact of the matter is, I think the most important fact is that addiction doesn't discriminate. Suffering exactly. suffering doesn't discriminate. And recovery exactly. doesn't discriminate. And exactly. I don't discriminate. I just happen to not know uh, people of color who are addicts for the most part. And, and if you are a person of color who is an addict that likes Dopey, God bless you, send in a Absolutely. voicemail. Drop me a line. I have Mal and I have the dude on Twitter. But those are the only two, as far as I know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and nowadays, I mean, I'm telling you, with this fentanyl stuff, everybody's at risk who who is doing this stuff. It's just awful stuff. All right, let me keep going. You like now, that? Course, that you like that though? That addiction doesn't discriminate. That sounds good, right? Yeah. No, that's very good. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Anyway, Lenny Dykstra, oh, baseball God. player. Let's let oh, Dykstra go. Who cares? Enough with Dykstra. Wait a minute. He said I was handsome. You're very handsome. Everybody says you're handsome. Who doesn't say well, you're I handsome? Did, I made sure I called my friends to tell them he said that. <laughs> anyway, but he's a liar, I think. Is that what he's known for? <laughs> no, he's known for being a racist, not a liar. Oh. All right. Now, I, I want to get serious. There's another one. Uh, the, the one, the episode where you had David Chef on. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. He, he was the father of... Uh, Nick Chef. Uh, sorry, what's his name? He was the father of Nick Chef. They both write books. Nick Chef is a terrible drug addict. David Chef is a journalist and a writer, author. Right. Well, I thought the episode was really terrific, uh, but but then he got into the discussion of, of the, the, the term tough love, and he was being asked by parents what to do in terms of decisions of uh, helping the, 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 uh, the addicted person or not helping the addicted person. And he said that he followed tough love and that he gave this direction, this, you know, this uh, advice to somebody. And then he finds out later that the guy gave tough love to the addict and, and, and the, the young person died. Um, which made, you know, was that's what he said on the program, which made him feel really, really miserable. So, um, well, that he suggested tough love. Yeah. The person yeah. followed his advice and lost his child. Exactly. Exactly. And your mother and I, I mean, we, we, we made a decision that we were going to do everything possible to keep you going. We were going to do everything possible we could. Anytime you needed to have any rehab or anything, uh, we we did not want not to come through. We weren't capable of that "quote unquote" whatever the term "tough love." Well, you had your own your own version of it. You had a version of it um, where it was like the gravy train is over, and you wanted me to think that I couldn't get money out of you. I mean that was like yeah. it was like that was the the headline, but then it was it was understood that if there was an emergency, you would come through. Yeah, that's it. Yes, that that sounds pretty pretty close to reality, and we were very lucky. I mean, we were very lucky. You're talking to me on the phone. It's it's good. It's good. Oh, and I bought coffee. The coffee ad. I got that down here. I got. I got. I bought three kinds of that coffee. Did you do the ad tonight? Yeah, I did the ad. I, I mentioned that you bought the coffee, and I said you were a good yeah, father. Which is good. which is your it's favorite good. one? Well, that's the. Oh yeah, I think I tried to remember it. I think it's called Ariba. Yeah, that's the middle it, one. But this, this. Yeah. You're just giving away free ads now, Dad. Well, wait, come on. You know, I just want them to keep keep the uh, advertising. Keep giving me money so you don't have to. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yes, yeah, exactly. In any case, it's just coffee.com. It's, it's a good company. What uh, and that? Uh, what do you call it? The um, you get a discount if you say Dopey Pod or something. Yes, you okay. say Dopey Pod. Don't you have any good criticisms? Yes, it's a good company. The what packaging is beautiful. The coffee oh, is beautiful. Wait a minute. They messed up on the grinding on one. Oh, Dad! Don't put down the no! Don't put down the coffee company. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't say. They, well, it was an accident. Anyway, I I did grind it myself, and it turned out to be good. Nice. So yeah, you you so you so you like justcoffee.com. Absolutely, I think it's a very reputable company. This is your shameless very, very promotion to get people to order the coffee. Absolutely, exactly. The Dopey Nation should order the coffee so these people could keep advertising. All right. What else you got? Oh, the other part. Uh, when uh, when you said I accused you of, of taking drugs and you got really angry and then you had to apologize on one of the on one of the podcasts saying that you shouldn't have been angry at me because it was a reasonable thing on, on my part. I don't and remember. That, I don't remember any of this. You don't remember that I'm supposed to say, "Are you working hard now?" Are you, are you working hard? I mean, when I think that you look tired and you look like you're out of it, yeah. instead of giving you the impression that I think you're taking drugs, I should say, uh, you look tired, David. Are you working hard? And and that's supposed to shake you up to say, yeah, it's, it's working. What are, you, what, right? are you, what are you trying to say here? Where are you going with this one? I mean, what I'm trying to say is is that you uh, you sort of apologized to me on the podcast that you were so angry at me for accusing you when you know that this is exactly what Chris was doing and saying of course he was right and Chris was getting angry at you and turns yeah but out Chris that wasn't was working very hard he was doing drugs you know how exactly. hard I'm working. You know, I know how hard you're working but you look miserable. So. Well, that's because I mean hard work is a miserable thing. No, it's not. Hard work is good for you. It's very important. All right. So I, I don't hear a criticism here, but what's next? How many How many, How many? many we have looked at? I did the one-star review. I did Lenny Dykstra. I did David Chef. I did the coffee ad. I told you your technology needs to still improve. And you know what I mean. You shouldn't be saying it. And Well, what did you, um, you think of the last couple episodes? What did you like? What didn't you like? You're talking uh, way back. What, what do you think? Well, I thought... Well, I, you've gotten some really beautiful reviews. I mean, I'm know, not the, asking uh, about. I'm asking what you thought. I knew that the Dopey Nation was going to love Chris's sponsor because um, it was crazy. Oh, I thought I thought his stories were just horrible. God, yeah. I mean, I could hardly listen. I thought I thought the stuff that he was involved with and that he got involved with. It's a miracle that he's he's around, you know, to help people, which is a blessing. He's thriving. I thought. He, he's he's thriving. Yeah, he's thriving in recovery. You know, he helps a ton of people. He makes great money, and he's uh, in tip top I mean, shape. Story that he, I mean, the stories that he told were just horrendous. I mean, just horrendous, um, horrible stuff that, that 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 many, many, many years. And anyway, it's amazing. Uh, I'm glad he's thriving. That's just great. And who is what else? Who is the? What, remind me of another one. Who else? Was the, the the Todd tribute. Oh yeah, well that was that was awful for me. Also, that was <laughs> that was pretty bad because of the um, because of the you see my dad. Unlike the Dopey Nation, my dad hates the Dopey stories. So yeah. what what do you like on the show? Well, you know what that one that one was worse because it was your stories with right. Todd, right, right, and with DK. Yeah, uh, well, it was nice to hear DK though, right? 
Yeah, and how is he doing? Is he okay? I don't think he's that great. He's all right. I think I think he has his own issues. But we'll get into that on a later episode of the show. Now it sounds like you're you're running out of steam yourself. Why don't you tell Why don't you tell the Dopey Nation your terrible dinner? What you had for dinner? Wait a minute. I I actually you're not you're not saying what a great cook I've become recently. That I've made chicken soup and I've made meatballs and I've made you know I made all sorts of great dishes that I've made, etc. But tonight you've I made had, all sorts of great dishes that you've made. Well, tell them what you made tonight, Chef Allen. I, I didn't make anything. I had chips and hummus and salsa. And what else? What was the what was the main course? Oh, a baked potato, uh, a microwave potato. Uh, my dad, the lonely widower, with his yeah. microwave potato with chips and salsa. Somebody, well, somebody needs to save this guy. He's very handsome. Why don't you, why don't you tell them what I made for the Passover seder, which is my specialty? I don't, I don't remember. What did you make? <laughs> you know, salt water. <laughs> oh yeah, your your special his spe- that's his every year he says how his recipe for salt water is the best recipe for salt water. Anyway, before you go cuz it's definitely yeah. time to go, but it's lovely to have you on the show. We're going to do a, a couple uh reviews of the week after New York City Sarah broke your heart. I'll do something yeah. that'll cheer you up, okay? Oh wait a minute. I hope I hope we 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 got her to understand New York well, City Sarah isn't listening anymore. She's gone. Oh, she's, she's, she's done. Said, well, she's done. Right. She's going to listen to a, a more diverse addiction podcast. If good luck with that, Sarah. Fucking Sarah. She's not going to find one. This is it. This is the last stop on the fucking highway. Anyway. Correct. Okay. Right, what are you going to read? I also got this email from this Irish girl who just fucking loves Dopey, so that was awesome. I only know her real name, so I'm not going to give her credit, but thank you, Irish woman. I also want to thank the guys who do the Facebook page, The Dopey Nation, Andrew, Catherine, and Paulina. They do a very nice job, and I feel like I should be thanking them more often. I want to thank Cormac, who does the Reddit page. I want to thank everybody who sends in emails and voicemails. Don't you think that's nice to thank these people, Dad? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know they—they're they, they, really very, very dedicated, and and it's it's great. You, you know, the whole Dopey Nation is is, is really super. So you were going to read something? Well, it's amazing right? considering what low-down, horrible drug addicts they are that they come through like this, right? Well, that's because maybe they aren't. Maybe because now they're in recovery. Maybe because now they they're because they're redemption has a new name, Dopey Podcast. Well, if it, if, I mean, sounds like you're helping lots of people, and that's that makes that makes me feel great. That's for sure. All right, take it uh, easy. Come on, don't. Please. All right, what else? What, right. what do you got? All right, so we have five stars. Um, five, yeah. A much needed. Perspective on the current opioid situation by Ryan. And she says, I've listened to hundreds of podcasts for three hours a day for more than a decade. And this is the first one I've ever reviewed. If that tells you anything, I like that. I think that that's a nice review. Yeah, podcasts have been going on for over a decade. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Only, but just, I only heard of yours. All right, anyway. Um, yeah. This is another one. Uh, 
Love by Karen Davis, RN. She writes, Although I'm not afflicted, I have a child that is. I've had my own dopey experiences back in the day, so I do enjoy listening. You are doing a good job, Dave. Stay strong. Um, I'm just going to read this one. Um, I don't know. I'm just running through this. Here, I'm going to do this one. Hey, Dave, love you, man. I heard about this podcast from listening to This American Life, and I've been binging it in true addict fashion ever since. I just celebrated my second year of clean time on April 16th. Dopey is irreverent, funny, smart, stupid, and profound. As I write this review, I'm struck with this feeling that like when I share in a meeting, I want this to be meaningful and entertaining and funny and awe-inspiring. And like when I share in meetings, it, it feels like I'm falling flat. Anyway, it's great slash scary traveling this road to recovery and all things dopey make it more tolerable. A small part of me wants to be a guest on your show. However, for those in the back, I'm not that entertaining. And that's Mac Real Girl. So um, that's a great review. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you, Dad, for coming on. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. You say thank you. It's been a pleasure. Something like that. Something nice. Uh, <laughs> it's always nice to talk to you, David. No. Why are you putting words in my mouth? Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. You know I love you very much. Yes, yes. I love you too. We want to thank Aurora, and we had the son of Bill Kreutzman, Grateful Dead drummer, who's a filmmaker, Justin Kreutzman, and he's a recovering addict. On in this episode, he was great. So thank you and. Uh, all right. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, and uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And Dad, you want to say anything? Yep. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris also. All right. All right. Good night, Davey. Good night, Dad. Thanks. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Aeroplane just passed me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people What it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller
suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had And 